Let's bow one more time as we prepare our hearts to receive the word of God this morning. Hallelujah, praise the risen Son of God. Uh, Your Son, the worthy Lamb that was slain. And Father, we thank you for Jesus and everything that he means to each and every one of us here this morning. We thank you for the salvation that can only be had in him. Uh, That as he took upon us his sin uh, and gave us a righteousness not our own and clothed in it for eternity. And so, Father, we thank you for that uh, wonderful truth. Lord, we thank you for uh, living the Christian life, Uh, even though it may be difficult because of those who uh, deny you, who uh, suppress the truth and unrighteousness. uh, Lord, uh, what is now here on earth uh, far uh, outweighs what we will receive when we see you face to face. Uh, And so, Father, we ask that you would teach us this morning, that your spirit would Uh, indwell our hearts in a very special way as we hear from your word, that you would keep us attentive, that we would engage our minds uh, and and see what you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't already, you can open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We are going to be finishing uh, the uh, end of verse 4 and and all of verse 5 today. Uh, as we continue on in God's Sovereign Plan of Salvation, Part 7. Let me reread the text this morning as you're turning there. It says there in, at the end of verse 4, In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In love. If you haven't figured out already or haven't realized already, this is a special salvific love from eternity and according to God's will. This is not the love that we share amongst one another as human beings. This is a love that is pure in all of its ways. It cannot be corrupted. It is holy. It is right. It is a love that existed within the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit from eternity a love that is not impacted from without, but a love that flows from the God who is love. And that special salvific love that's being mentioned here is for a particular purpose. I said it is a special salvific love. And we can see this as we read John fifteen thirteen, where it says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Well, Jesus Christ laid down his life for those that are his children. He did it in love, a love that was shared within the Godhead, a love that the the Son of God had in its purity. And the thing is, as we've sung this morning, as we think about the word of God, as we think about uh, this love that God through his Son has uh, shown us, one of the things that we need to realize is that nothing expresses God's love more powerfully than the cross. Let me say that again. Nothing expresses God's love more powerfully than the cross. You know, that's why we have a cross in our uh, in the building behind me, a cross on the outside of the building, not to worship the cross, but as a constant, solemn reminder of God's love for us. 
a salvific love that comes through Jesus Christ and through him alone. It's why we celebrate communion, uh, for us to remember Christ's sacrifice on that cross, because it is the most uh, powerful example of God's love for us. Uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, uh, Paul penned it this way to the, uh, uh, the people of Rome. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Verse 8, But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the question would be at that point is, why would Christ die for us while we were still sinners? Well, when you understand salvation, when you understand its uh, beginning of where it has its, its source, it's in God before the foundation of the world so that salvation could be realized in our day. That's why God shows his love for us, because his salvific love is based in who he is. Nothing changes that, and so it doesn't matter that we are still sinners, because it's in love that Jesus Christ died. Later on in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, if you want to flip forward to verses 4 and 5, Paul pens it this way uh, here uh, in the letter that we're studying. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See, this is the beautiful love of God, a love that goes before he even created one thing. Before out of nothing, he created everything that is. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Who, speaking of Jesus, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy. How can the sinless Son of God, for the joy that was set before him, endure the cross? Because the Son of God loved you. He loved you before you were created, before you were born. He loved you in eternity past, and therefore it was a joy for him because as you look at the end of verse 5, all of this is according to the purpose of whose will? God's will, his will. And see, we have the privilege as believers today to see that outworking as we have the opportunity to gather together to sing praises to God, to remember Christ, to remember his sacrifice, and to know that it was a joy for him to hang on that cross, which completely boggles the human mind. How could it be a joy to be crucified? Well, because he, in love, was obedient to the Father because It is according to the purpose of his will. And that will is the son's as well. The father sent the son, but there's no division, no, you know, breaking apart within the Godhead because it is one God, three persons. And Jesus Christ in love 
went to the cross, and it was a joy for him to experience all of that suffering, despising that shame, but now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, that place of honor because he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. So nothing expresses God's love more powerfully than the cross. Well, the verse goes on there as you take a look back at Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 5, uh, actually the end of 4 and beginning of 5. It says, in love, he predestined us for adoption. Being a part of God's family is one of the greatest spiritual blessings given to us as believers. Think about that. You know, we have a tendency to look at things in a temporal sense. We have a tendency to look at things in relation to what we can get or what we can get rid of. But see, as we think about the fact that it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption, one of the greatest spiritual blessings that we enjoy as believers is the fact that we are part of God's family now. We're not alienated. We're no longer enemies. We belong to God. He's freed us from sin because of what his son did in love and in joy endured to the point of death on a cross. As we sung this morning, you know, he didn't stay dead in that grave. He rose because God the Father rose him from the dead because that was all part of God's Sovereign plan of salvation from the start. It says, in love, he predestined us. In Greek, that word translated predestined that you have in uh, your Bible means to determine or decree beforehand. So God determined or decreed beforehand that when I was five years old in 1975, that I would trust the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior because of a Sunday school teacher being faithful to proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and salvation through him. But God knew that because he determined it and decreed it before I was even born, before my parents were born, before my grandparents were born, my great-grandparents were born, going all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden from which we all come. Because Eve is the mother of all. Even before that, God knew. Because God knows everything, as we've studied in previous weeks. See, God's predetermined plan is unfolding in human history. Again, remember, God in eternity, before anything was created, he was perfect in all of his ways, lacking in nothing. He chose to create, and in time, which we have Uh, As part of our everyday life, he showed himself. And matter of fact, even as we we read uh, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, that the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope. Of glory. See, even as Jesus was on the earth, God was unveiling. He was, his plan was unfolding so that even those that came before, as the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ coming all the way from the book of Genesis, 
Even at the moment of the fall, when God was saying this is what's going to happen as a result of the fall, was a foreshadowing of Christ's coming, where he would you know, deliver the fatal blow upon Satan, a blow to his head, because he would be victorious over death. And that cross could not hold him. That grave could not hold him, because he is the Almighty Son of God. Well, what did he predestine us for? Well, it says there he predestined us for adoption. Well, what is adoption? You know, I, I know at least one family in here that has adopted children. You know, adoption is something that we're very familiar with. Um, it is uh, to, um, uh, you know, adopt a, per, a personal family relationship with God in relation to how God adopts us. And we're going to speak about adoption in a few moments here in a little bit more detail. Um, but that's what he predestined us for, was adoption, to be brought in, for there to be a personal relationship, a family relationship, so that we were no longer alienated from God, but we were part of his family. And we're going to see that flushed out a little bit more and how it's different than earthly families. But what was this predestined adoption according to? Well, that's the end of verse 5. It was according to the purpose of his will. Listen to what it says in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13, Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, it's because salvation belongs to God. Because our will, apart from God, our will, as we are dead in our trespasses and sins, is for ourselves. It is selfish. It has nothing to do with God. And that's what's so beautiful about God's grace and his mercy and the Spirit working to begin that work of regenerating us so that we can see spiritual things. See, we were born of God's will. Not our own, because we did not desire to be born again. We desired to live for self, and we do that very, very well. So in love, he predestined us for adoption. Now, what I want to spend the next few moments together explaining to you and sharing with you, um, because as I studied this, I learned something uh, new uh, this past week, because God is not done teaching uh, the pastor as well because I'm still a student of the Word of God. But there are two metaphors which speak to our becoming part of God's family. One is adoption, which is in this verse here. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Now, adoption, if we, we go back in time to when Jesus was, was walking to earth and when uh, Paul would have penned this, adoption uh, was... Uh, and a term utilized for the Greek and Roman audiences. Uh, and I'll explain why here in a minute. Uh, but for the Greek and the Roman, this was a common practice. Adoption was something that happened uh, actually quite regularly. Uh, they, they could actually, um, if a father determined that his son or heirs uh, were not worthy of you know, the, the family line going forward, 
A Roman could adopt someone from without, doesn't matter if they were younger or older than he was, but he could bring them in and it would be, you know, as if he was a natural born son when they're adopted. And I'll, I'll actually speak to this in, in, in relation to Roman law. But to adopt someone is to make that person a legal son or daughter. That's what the purpose of adoption is, to bring them into a family which was not their own as those parents choose those kids to adopt, to bring them in. And in the book of Galatians chapter 4, it speaks to being uh, those who are from slaves to sons and daughters. In verses 4 and following, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Well, that's a phrase you should recognize from the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, that's a term of endearment. could actually mean, you know, in no um, uh, disrespectful way, our ability, because of being adopted into God's family, to call God the Father, Daddy. Verse 7 goes on to say, so you are no longer a slave. So notice this. Once they were a slave until they were adopted in, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So that status has changed. Their whole life has been turned upside down because they were a slave, but now they're a son. And not only just a son to say, well, you know what? I, I brought you in. I'm going to take care of you. But an actual heir. You become part of that family. You take on everything that that family represents, everything that the, the parents, you know, have taken as uh, adopters uh, so that that son or daughter does not feel any different than the biological children that were born into that family if there was, a, you know, biological children born as well. And as we look at the Bible, actually, the Bible has quite a bit uh, in as far as examples of adoption. And I'm only going to share one with you this morning. But you have the example in the book of Exodus of Moses being adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. You know all the backstory of, of how Moses ended up coming to that point of, of how, you know, he ended up being put in that basket and Pharaoh's daughter found him. In verse 10 of chapter 2 of the book of Exodus, it says this. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And the interesting thing is, as I was reading a little bit more deeply, and I didn't put this in my notes, but that the name Moses, actually in Egyptian, can, it actually means son. So she named him Moses, you know, and, and an Egyptian would have, you know, brought him in as a son or as the one that she drew out of the water. Uh, and so there's a multiple, you know, meanings coming together there. But in the book of Acts chapter 7, we, we find out a little bit more of what happened because the details are not in the book of Exodus. And this is one of the neat things about the word of God is that it is, you know, cohesive and we get a bigger picture the more we study. It actually talks about what happened when Moses was brought into that household. Acts chapter 7 verses 20 through 22. It says, at this time Moses was born and he was uh, beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. Verse 21. And when he was exposed 
Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. And see, as you, you find that out, it's almost, you know, ironic or, you know, uh, yeah, I'll just use the word ironic, that Moses, as one of his things that he said is that, you know, I'm not very good with my words to God as an excuse not to be the one that God chose to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Here it says he was mighty in his words and deeds. But the thing is, the point being is that Pharaoh's daughter took Moses in and he became her son. And she brought him up in all the ways of the Egyptians because at that point he was an Egyptian son. I like what William Barclay said in his uh, commentary. He says, uh, in Roman law, when the adoption was complete, it was complete indeed. The person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son in his new family and completely lost all rights in his old family. In the eyes of the law, he was a new person. So new was he that even all debts and obligations connected with his previous family were abolished as if they never existed. So do you see the picture of adoption from a human standpoint? And and now, you know, transpose that into what God has done through Christ for us in adopting us into his family. That's why he does not remember our sins, you know, as far as the east is from the west. Because, yes, we are sinners saved by grace. But when we're adopted into God's family, what God the Father sees is those righteous robes. He sees his righteous son because Jesus took all those sins away. He washes us white as snow. And unlike human adoption, something happens. Because, you know, you can adopt kids into your family. You can make them your own. You can, you know, uh, let them be part of your family as if they were born into your family. But there's something different when God adopts us. is because God gives us something that no human parent can give their adoptive children as part of that family. And that is God gives us his son's nature. See, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. No longer are we dead in our trespasses and sins, living for the lust of the flesh. We enjoy the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. All those things become part of who we are and that nature that the Son of God has to be obedient to the Father, even to the point of death on a cross, is a nature that we are given and the Spirit works in us to continue to let us know that we are children of God, that we are part of God's family, all for the purpose of us becoming more Christ-like. That we are conformed to the image of Christ, as I talked about last week in Romans chapter 8. So that's adoption, Um, something that was a common practice. And so as you see, this fits Paul's audience, because remember, this is Ephesus. And we talked about that at the very beginning of how that was a center point of all kinds of commerce and trade. And so anyone reading this, anywhere that letter went, they would have understood it completely, what adoption was. And they would have automatically identified that with Roman adoption, which by law, you became part of that family. 
as if you were born into it and in your previous life is no more. And so that's a picture of what Paul was helping the Romans, utilizing something that they did on a human level to to begin to understand what happens on a spiritual level when you trust Christ. Well, there's another metaphor that's used in the New Testament, and that is the metaphor of being born again. And interestingly enough, this is for the Jewish audience. And let me explain why. Um, First, let me define what born again means. It literally means to be born from above. In our doctoral statement, number seven, we actually speak to this. Um, In point number seven, it says, We believe that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, and that all who receive by faith the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are born again of the Holy Spirit, thereby becoming children of God. And that's an important statement here because it also gives us a picture of what happens, like adoption being brought into God's family, but another aspect in relation to what happens spiritually. See, the Jew would not understand adoption because it's very rare that Jews actually adopt anyone. See, the thing is, is that adoption was not common in the Jewish world And basically, a person's standing, who they were, was based on their birth. And you remember when I talked about Paul at the very beginning of the book of Ephesians, do you remember what I said in relation to him basically giving his credentials? Back in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 5, he lists them off. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. See, everything for a Jew is based in who their their uh, mother and father are, their birth family. And so for them to understand adoption and having someone come in from without, you know, is, is something that they're not going to be able to see as well as what Jesus utilized in speaking about being born again or being born from above. Because they always think about who their lineage is, their family, where they came from. And you remember Paul even said that all those things he lays aside for, for you know, knowing Jesus Christ, his Lord. And a classic example is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. And this is one of those things, I, I, again, I never connected all these things together and thinking about these two metaphors. But this makes complete sense of why Nicodemus couldn't understand when Jesus told him that he needed to be born again. And I'll just read a small section here out of, of the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, well, it's a, a truth statement. So here's Nicodemus' response in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now we look at that and, and just think that that's just ludicrous. Or we, we laugh and think, you know, and start, you know, you know, developing images of a full-grown adult going back into their mother's womb. The thing is, is he truly did not understand because he was thinking about it from a physical standpoint. He was thinking about it from a Jewish standpoint of everything of their standing is being based in their birth. 
Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. So in the Jewish mindset to try and, you know, get their mind off of the fact that, you know what, there's nothing you can do. You cannot be like the Pharisees who are your religious leaders who, you know, puff themselves up and, and you know, do their, their very best to, to look better and be above everyone else. Because that is not the righteousness that God desires. You know, he's, he's, he's switching so that they have to, to think outside their normal thought patterns to say, well, how can I be born again? Well, see, the problem is, is that this is not an issue of human conception. Because, you know what, we, we do have the sin nature of Adam. And it's going all the way back to the beginning. That's part of the curse. That's why Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, and the Holy Spirit was the one who completed uh, the, the, you know, uh, conception part so that Jesus would not have the sin nature so unlike physical human conception, which a Jew would have been thinking, we have to be spiritually reborn. Again, and then if you, you take that and look at everything we've been studying up until now, think about how beautiful that is. The fact that that salvation and everything that, that comes together is a spiritual transformation. It's a spiritual rebirth, not a physical one, because physically we are incapable, unable to save ourselves. Because God is the one who is the author of salvation. And so you've got these two metaphors that are used in the New Testament for us to understand not only adoption from a uh, Roman and Greek cultural uh, practice, but also being born again. And both of them, they're not contradictory, but they give us two nuances of what salvation is. What adoption does in bringing us in so that our past no longer defines us, but who our family is now is what defines us. As well as being born again because we're spiritually dead and we need to have spiritual life brought into us. So we have to be born again spiritually. Two beautiful pictures of what salvation is all about. Let me uh, close with just a few spiritual blessings that come as a result of our becoming part of God's family. Because you need to remember that salvation is not just fire insurance from hell. There's a purpose in it. We talked about that before. But in love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will and those spiritual blessings, which we talked about earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, are the result of us becoming part of God's family. So let me encourage you for a few moments this morning to remember some of those blessings. All right? And I've got four of them for you. But in relation to that so great salvation, which is solely a gift from God, we have been redeemed out of our former ways, so that we no longer find ourselves condemned, but reconciled to God, to enjoy eternal life with him forever. So blessing number one is victory over death. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
See, the thing is, the wages of sin is death. We are all sinners before God. We all fall short of the glory of God. And the power of sin is the law. The law is what shows us that we are sinners. You know, think about it from a a human standpoint today. What does the law do or what is it supposed to do? It's supposed to deter and help people see that there are right things and wrong things to do. And if you break the law, there's a consequence. That's not always the case nowadays. Uh, But that does not change the truth, even if man doesn't recognize it. But know this, that we should thank God, the one who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ over death itself. So death is no longer our enemy. You should not fear death if you belong to Jesus Christ today. Death is just a doorway to what takes you to eternity to be with God forever. Second is spiritual strength. This comes out of the book of Ephesians a little later on uh, in chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, the thing is, one of the spiritual blessings of becoming part of God's family is the fact that you have a spiritual strength that you did not have apart from Christ. He has the ability through the power of the Spirit in you to accomplish and to do things that are impossible in man's world, but are not impossible for the God who can do Everything. Third, there is a hope, joy, and peace that is a spiritual blessing of becoming part of God's family. Romans fifteen twelve says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So you notice where all these things come from? God the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ the Son, so that you have a hope. So you don't walk around as those in the rest of the world being overcome by all the circumstances of life as if you have no hope and that the world is going to come to an end if X, Y, and Z don't happen. Because you have a hope that goes beyond this world. You have a hope that just as Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that you too will be resurrected, that you will be with God for eternity in heaven when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Something that the world does not understand, that they don't seek for, and apart from God doing a rebirth or reborn, a rebirth, that's the words I want, rebirth, they are lost in hopelessness. But that same God fills you with all joy. See, joy is not happiness. Don't confuse the two. Because happiness is an emotion. You can be happy one moment and unhappy the next, all depend upon what you decide to focus on or how you perceive whatever you're going through is. And it, it changes with the weather. 
You know, the most interesting thing is, is well, you know, today is, well, it's, you know, kind of overcast outside. It's not really nice. And the sun pops through the clouds. Oh, wow, it's a beautiful sunny day outside. You know, the thing is, is that all the things around us can affect our happiness. And the thing is, is that we are the ones who dictate that. But joy is something that is God-given. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Something we don't understand just like the joy that God gives us because we're sons and daughters, because we've been changed, we've been reborn, we're no longer the same people because we have been adopted into God's family. And peace in believing. See, the world is constantly looking for peace. And they're always looking in the wrong places. I want to have a peace of mind. I want there to be no longer any war, and I want there to be peace. And man tries to, to, you know, create the circumstances for peace to happen when the only one who can give them true peace, eternal peace, is God. But he will seek everywhere else to try and find it and will try every substance known to man to try and ease what is at war within themselves. Only God can give peace, and that peace is in believing in Jesus Christ. And finally, overcomers. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I'm speaking to the believers here for a moment this morning, because if you're here this morning and you are down and out and you're you're humdrum and you don't know why you're here this morning, I want you to know something. If you've truly repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, you are a overcomer because of Jesus Christ, God's son in you. Can I get at least one amen in that? All right, that's better. See, these are the spiritual blessings And as Christians, we should not be walking around as if we're the most depressed, unhappy, joyless people in the world. But you know what? I run into believers that are that way all the time. Start believing, start embracing who you are in Christ. If you're an overcomer because of your faith in Jesus Christ, is there anything in this world that can dampen that in any way? The answer to that is absolutely not. You're the one that gives power to that by denying the fact that you're an overcomer in Jesus Christ. So live like an overcomer. Because the reason why you're an overcomer is not your power within you because you're an overcomer because of the one who saved you. The ability to overcome is because God is almighty, overall, sovereign, and answers to no one. So every circumstance of life, no matter what you're going through, no matter how, you know, deep you are, guess what? God can lift you out of it. And it's all a matter of focus and believing with your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength that God is going to do the very thing that he says he's going to do. So if he says you're an overbecomer because you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then guess what? You are an overcomer. And I'm not saying this just to be a positive motivational speaker. I'm telling you this because it is a fact. It is true about who God is. So live like an overcomer. 
as one who has had victory over death, who has a spiritual strength not their own, who has hope, joy, and peace, because that's who you are because of God in you. That's how we should live. And when we live that way, guess what? The world is going to see it. Some may be changed as a result of it because they're going to say, wow, you are completely different from the rest of the world instead of them seeing other people that say they're Christians but yet are just as bad or maybe even visibly more miserable than unbelievers. That's how you're going to be light and darkness. That's how you're going to be salt in this world. And that's how we should live. And particularly as the days become more and more evil. Just turn on the news for a moment. I'll grant you a moment. Otherwise, if you listen to it for too long, I know exactly where you'll be. And what you need to do is focus on the truth and live the truth out. Because otherwise, the world in all of its ways will drag you down below the surface and hold on to you with a, you know, a grip. Even though you're no longer enslaved to sin, you know what? We give power to things we should not give power to. So live like a child of God, one who has been adopted in, who has been born again. You're not the same person anymore. You're dead to those ways. So don't look like the rest of the world, because otherwise the world's not going to see. And the thing is, I will do this with a caveat, is that the more you live like that, there are going to be more they are going to hate you. But remember that they hated Jesus Christ first. And don't worry, because even if they hate you, even if they ridicule you, even if they persecute you, or the point of we find ourselves like the uh, New Testament church, being persecuted even to the point of death, that the just judge will make all things right in his time. No one escapes the judgment of God. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, I thank you for your love for us today that we've spoken to, that in love you predestined us for adoption through your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. This was all according to the purpose of your will, uh, your will which transcends time itself and comes out of the one who is pure love, that's untainted, that is beautiful and holy and right. We're thankful for your love today. We're thankful for your grace and your mercy today. And Lord, we pray that as we've you know, delved a little bit deeper in uh, to the uh, theological pool, as we've seen uh, our salvation through the lens of adoption and being born again, that we would better understand uh, what has taken place, that we are transformed. And so may you give us through the power of your spirit to live transformed lives today, to not be overcome by the world, but instead be overcomers because of our faith in Jesus Christ, to overcome the world itself, because we've been freed from death, uh, that we have a hope, a joy, and a peace, and a spiritual power that the world does not understand but will give us the ability to live victorious lives today, uh, all in your power. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.